This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. I'm going to just share for a few moments about what resurrection is. As we celebrate Easter, I want to talk about what resurrection is because resurrection is a word that we might actually take for granted. And I just want to talk a little bit more about what it actually means uh, to the Jews at the time of Jesus. So, um, how many of you remember last year the awful, awful imagery of um, Christian Eriksen? Uh, in a World Cup match, collapsing and had a heart attack on the pitch. And if you're familiar with that, you'll know, thankfully, the medical team were able to resuscitate him, and he's back playing football for Brentford now. So a remarkable story of, uh, of resuscitation, and uh, one that we're all greatly relieved. Anybody that watched that match um, will be super relieved that he's well and back playing football again. And um, when we think about the resurrection of Jesus, it can be plausible to think that um, he didn't necessarily completely die, that he was resuscitated, a bit like Christian Eriksen was resuscitated on the football pitch. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Mark's account of Jesus's life now to see if that was the case. So if you've got a Bible or you've got the Bible app on your phone, um, Claire was buying a Bible for someone the other day. I was like, why don't you just give, tell them about the Bible app? Because the Bible app's so helpful. You can search the Bible, you can find so many yeah, basically, it's easy to find anything in the Bible if you've got the Bible app. So do, do get the Bible app on your phone if you haven't already got it. Um, it's very nice of you to offer to buy someone a Bible. Though. That's really nice. Right, so we're going to read from Mark 15, verse 40 to 47. So, it says, Some women uh, were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, um, Mary, mother of James the Younger, and Joseph and Salome. And in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, that is the ruling religious council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in the tomb, cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So Mark records the presence here of many women, okay, at the death of Jesus, and his burial, and his resurrection. Just note how Mark draws attention to the women. We don't know where the men were, but he draws attention to the women. And why? Well, because the women were witnesses. They were witnesses to all this that had happened. And, and, and when, we, when we are considering whether something is verifiable, whether a story is true or not, we, in a court of law, we often call witnesses to ascertain that. And that's what Mark's doing here. And what Mark does is he, he tells us quite a lot of detail about the event. He, I don't quite know how he knows all of this information, but he talks about the fact that, uh, you know, Joseph of Arimathea went to the council, sorry, went to the uh, Pilate to get the body of Jesus. And uh, there was this conversation between Pilate and the centurion as to whether Jesus was actually dead or not. And so there's lots of detail. And the reason why there's lots of detail, he's, he's keen to document what actually happened. Because some critics may have suggested that Jesus was just resuscitated, that he didn't really die. Now, the historical account of Jesus' gospel written by John, this one's written by Mark, there's another one written by John. John records that Roman soldiers stuck a spear 
into Jesus' side. And it's easy to kind of just religiously brush over that. But what they did, they stuck a spear into his side, probably into his heart and lungs. And nowadays, medical opinion suggests that Jesus would have suffered hypovolemic shock as a result of being flogged and pericardial and pleural effusions, which would have accounted for the water build up around his heart and lungs, which would have poured out of his body when they stuck a spear in him. The other men crucified next to Jesus had their legs broken to speed up their death, but not Jesus, because the soldiers were sure that he was dead. So, if Jesus, Jesus wasn't resuscitated, and I think it's fairly clear from Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel that he wasn't resuscitated, if Jesus wasn't resuscitated, then did Jesus, was Jesus raised from the dead, a bit like Jesus raised three people from the dead? If you're familiar with the stories of Jesus, you'll know that he raised uh, the widow's son at Nain, um, he, weigh, he raised Jairus' daughter, and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And all three of those people continued to live their normal lives. We don't think of those people as being alive now, do we? We assume that they died. So they came back to life, they were raised to the debt to life by Jesus, but then they would have died later in life. Um, not so Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is very different. And we're just going to look at Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the Mary mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body, which was their tradition. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a man, a young man, dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So, it's early in the morning. Um, the burial of Jesus actually happened just before the Sabbath, on the, what we know as Friday, Good Friday, but on the Friday evening. In, in, in Jewish culture, a day was from sunset on the previous day to sunset on the actual day. So, today is Sunday, but today started in Jewish terms last night at sunset, and will finish at sunset tonight. And so they couldn't attend to the body on the Sabbath because that was against the ceremonial laws. And so what they did was the first light, Sunday morning, they get up, they hurry down to the tomb to complete the burial process. But they obviously haven't thought about how they're going to get into the tomb because on the way they're having a conversation about how they're going to roll the stone away. What's really interesting is, is that Jesus' disciples were totally, utterly unprepared for his resurrection. And that's despite the fact that Jesus told them three times that he would die and then three days later would be raised back to life, according to the gospel writers. Because if you think about it, if they had understood what Jesus meant by that, wouldn't they have, three days later, gone and sat by the tomb waiting for him to rise to life again? Wouldn't they have expected to do that? Instead, they weren't there at all. We don't know where the male disciples were. We think they were hiding out in Jerusalem. Some of them may have gone back to Galilee. It's the women. It's the women who, who most of the gospel writers actually are, are described as being present at Jesus' death, at his burial, and his resurrection. And so what's really interesting here is, is that even the women, although they're going to the tomb, although they're present at his death, they don't expect him to be resurrected either. Because when they get there, they're asking themselves, 
<laughs> who's going to roll the stone away? Like, we've got to attend to his body. We've got these spices, which is part of the burial process. They had no expectation that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, which is really interesting when you read it back retrospectively. So when they see the open tomb and the young man dressed in a white robe, they completely freak out and they, 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 they just run away. They run away, not knowing what to do. Now, if you read different accounts of this story, you'll see that actually Jesus did encounter, um, the resurrected Jesus did encounter these women. But according to Mark, they just fled. So think of this. Despite, despite Mary Magdalene having seen her brother Lazarus raised from the dead by Jesus, despite probably of having heard Jesus three times predict that he would die and then three days later be raised from the dead. She had no expectation that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Now, if you've got a paper Bible with you, you'll notice, uh, like in my paper Bible, that the verses 9 to 19 are actually in italics. Um, and that's because scholars think that they weren't written by Mark. And if that's true, Mark's just not very good at finishing stories or the last part of his gospel has been lost but either way uh, chapter 16 verse 8 is a rather abrupt end to the story you might think just the women fled is that the end of it mark is that really all that happened well does that mean that these verses 9 to 19 are not an accurate description of what happened well i want to say no because i think the reality is is that they correlate very well with the other three accounts of jesus's story the very fact that we have four descriptions of jesus's life should tell us something about the veracity of those accounts whether they were actually true or not they're eyewitness accounts of what jesus's life uh, was all about um but interestingly there, this, these verses 9 to 19 are kind of like an abridged version of the story that is better told by Luke and Matthew and John. So if you, if you want to read the better stories, go to those accounts rather than Mark, because this is quite abridged. But in those accounts, what we see is some really important differences between Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and those people that he brought back to life. So I'm thinking Lazarus, I'm thinking the widow's son, I'm thinking um, Jairus' daughter. Like, when they were raised to life... They had a different kind of life to the resurrected Jesus. Um, so for instance, post-resurrection, and of course we only know this from the accounts of the Gospels, but post-resurrection, Jesus had some remarkable qualities, what you might call metaphysical qualities. So there's this story about him appearing on the road to Emmaus, kind of walking alongside two of his disciples who are, are kind of, um, they're kind of just like, stunned by the death of Jesus they're, they're processing it they're full of grief they're sh- in shock and they're walking along and this man turns up next to them and they walk with them and it's Jesus apparently and they don't recognize it's Jesus but they like him so they invite him to stop with them and have some hospitality eat with them and stay the night and uh, they still don't recognize him and Jesus eventually reveals himself to them as they're eating and then suddenly he disappears from before their very eyes I mean, I ask you, you know, you take the rest of the Gospels of Jesus as kind of, well, these are eyewitness accounts. These are pretty accurate accounts. We, we judge it as history. You know, there's quite a lot of history. Admittedly, history through the perspective of the writer, but nonetheless history. And then suddenly this weird thing happens. Jesus disappears from their sight. That would be a weird thing if it happened here, wouldn't it? That would be, we would say that was a metaphysical thing. That was a supernatural thing. That was something that was completely unbelievable and difficult to grasp. Mind stretching. What else did he do? 
Um, on another occasion, Jesus appears from nowhere again. He makes a habit of doing this post-resurrection, just appears in this room with all of the disciples. It's a locked room, we find out. And, um, and of course, they're terrified. It's some sort of apparition, some sort of vision of Jesus. But Jesus is talking to them, interacting with them, inviting them to touch his body, to examine his body, to see where his wounds are still. And also he eats some food with them as well. It doesn't just kind of go in his mouth and then, like, you know, in Pirates of the Caribbean, disappear through his body and drop on the floor. So he's got this strange quality that he can eat food and yet he can appear and disappear at will. No wonder the disciples are terrified. What on earth is going on? They think he's a ghost. Uh, But the most bizarre difference... The most bizarre difference about the post-resurrection Jesus is what's called the ascension. Okay, where Jesus is taken up before their very eyes and it's described as a cloud hides him from their sight. It doesn't get more kind of practical than that, does it? So Jesus literally ascends up in the sky and then a cloud hides them from his sight, Luke says in Acts. It's, it's just bizarre. I mean, is, does, am I the only person who thinks this is bizarre? Did you think this is bizarre? It's bizarre, right? I mean, it is bizarre, let's be honest. It's bizarre, because so much of the rest of the accounts of Jesus' life we just take as rote. Well, of course it happened. It was history. It's history through the eyes of the writer, but it's history. This, how can this be history? I mean, honestly, Kevin, if you just went outside and just started to rise up into the sky and then disappeared behind a cloud, I mean, apart from Lizzie being freaked out, what on earth would we think? See, this is mind-stretching for us. This is bizarre. And yet at the same time, it wasn't that bizarre to the Jews. Why was that? Well, it wasn't that bizarre to the Jews because resurrection, resurrection didn't mean the same thing as it does to you and I. When we think of resurrection, friends, we tend to think of resuscitation. Someone comes back to life. Uh, Christian Erickson, his heart starts beating and then they, they, they defibrillate him and they get him back to life. That's what we think happened to Jesus, don't we? Well, the Jews never saw it like that. The Jews of Jesus' time never saw it like that. Resurrection was, was, was different. And the best person to look at for this is the Apostle Paul. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, if you haven't got a Bible, then, then don't worry about it. But when you get home, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul, by the way, Paul is the only person who, after the ascension of Jesus, claims to have seen the risen Jesus. And you should go back and have a look, if those of you are interested in this, go back and have a look at what word Paul uses to describe the risen Jesus. Because it's actually the word apparition. Have a look at it and see how much that word is used in the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection as well. But what's fascinating in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Paul tries to describe what resurrection is in Jewish culture. And it's absolutely fascinating. Let's look at it together. Paul uses this analogy. Okay, to describe the existence of Jesus pre-resurrection and post-resurrection. And he says this, he says that a physical body is to the resurrection body. So Jesus' physical body to Jesus' resurrection body is like the seed is to a full-grown plant. You can read it for yourself in 1 Corinthians 15, I'm not making this up. So, a sunflower looks nothing like a sunflower seed, am I right? I mean, obviously there's sunflower seeds in the middle of the sunflower head, but the actual sunflower doesn't actually look like the seed, does it? Am I right? I'm right, right. So what Paul is saying is, in the same way, the resurrected Jesus, while still looking like Jesus of Nazareth, actually has qualities and an existence that Jesus of Nazareth 
didn't have. When I say Jesus of Nazareth, I'm referring to the pre-death Jesus, pre-resurrection Jesus. So the post-resurrection Jesus has different qualities to the pre-resurrection Jesus. It's not just his old body resuscitated. Does that make sense? The post-resurrection body of Jesus is so different to the pre-resurrection body of Jesus that it's like a sunflower seed is different from a sunflower. That's how the Jews interpreted this. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't freaked out when they saw Jesus rising up into the sky, but the reality is is that they understood that Jesus had a metaphysical body, what you and I would call a metaphysical body, post-resurrection. His body could do things that he could not do before he died. Which for me, I don't know about you, is quite a revelation. That, that's quite a paradigm shift. That's, that, that makes me think differently. Whoa. So Jesus' body was so different that he could disappear at will and reappear somewhere else. What, what science is that? How do we understand that? Well, the reality is right now we can't understand this. Maybe science will never be able to explain it to us. But the reality is, is that this is what the Jews saw. This is what these early followers of Jesus saw and reported back and has been passed down through generations to us. And you know what? You know what this means? And this is really important. What this means is, is that the post-resurrection Jesus can be experienced in a way that the pre-resurrection Jesus couldn't. So the post-resurrection Jesus... I mean, Jesus has died, he was buried, then he was raised to life, resurrected. And then, I don't know how long, probably a couple of years later, the Apostle Paul has the same experience of the resurrection Jesus. And throughout history, since Jesus, people have claimed to have had an experience of the post-resurrection Jesus. How does that sit with you? Do you think you've had an experience of the post-resurrection Jesus? Have you encountered the post-resurrection Jesus? Have you had a spiritual experience that you would describe as the post-resurrection Jesus? Have you been in prayer sometimes and just encountered and had an experience which felt like an encounter with the post-resurrection Jesus? The reason why the Christian gospel is so compelling is because it's not about a person that's dead. It's about a person that is alive. And how can Christians say that? Well, the only reason they can say that is because of the post-resurrection Jesus, whose abilities and existence is so far beyond the Jesus of Nazareth, the pre-resurrection Jesus. And so friends, today, wherever you are, the gospel of Jesus is that you can encounter the post-resurrection Jesus in your day-to-day life. You're not going to kind of, you don't have to kind of conjure it up. You just have to look for him. So, right now, why don't we just pause? Jesus, we speak to you in your post resurrection state, and we pray that this morning that you would come to us in our circumstances right now. And not just in this moment, because I'm not going to try and create. (laughs) create a moment now but would you come to us in in our lives wherever we are whatever we're doing would you come to us and would you make your presence felt with us whether we're out on a walk in the countryside where we're feeling the sun on our face whether we're lying in bed in the middle of the night and we wake 
and we, we are worrying about something, would you come to us in that moment? Whether we're struggling at the moment with personal circumstances that are, 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 um, are so painful and so difficult, would you come to us and be our security and be our comfort? Would you come to us and touch our hearts with your unconditional love where we feel shame and where we feel embarrassment, where we feel like we're unloved, where we feel lonely and isolated, where we feel full of joy? Where, whatever emotional state we find ourselves in, whatever circumstances in our lives that we are putting up with, um, whatever anxieties we, we are carrying, whatever challenges we are facing, would you come to us like you came to Mary um, uh, when you were resurrected? Would you come to us like you came to Thomas? Would you come to us like you came to, G- uh, to Peter? Would you come to us like you came to Paul? And like you have come to countless billions of people ever since, and frankly, before as well. Would the, you, the cosmic Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, would you make your presence felt in our daily lives um, for for the sake of our, our ability to know and know how much you love us, for our ability to be immensely and emotionally well, for our ability to have healthy relationships, for our ability to have a sense of purpose and direction in our lives. Resurrected Jesus, would you do that in our lives today and in the weeks ahead and the months ahead and the years ahead? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.